We're halfway through Hell Year, and we're America's unluckiest podcast, <laughs> the pod people. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, obviously. Yo, yo, yo! It's Little Panicata, also known as Ben Cheats. Hi, and I'm Cleveland Mosier, and I've got a fever, and the only prescription is more fever. From the sea. Sea fever. Mm. Well, it's that time again. It's our mid-year catch-up, and Cleveland curated uh, our choices this year. Normally, we were going to do our usual and do uh, three films from uh, 2020 that we haven't gotten around to, and we thought that the pickings would be pretty slim, considering that COVID has halted the release of a lot of the movies that we predicted and just movies in general. But how wrong we were, because Ben <laughs> sat us down and made us watch six hours of movie trailers of, like, Shutter exclusives, and it turns out that actually a bunch of movies came out in 2020. Video on demand never dies, never as much dies. as you might want it to sometimes. <laughs> so uh, we, we spent a long time watching these trailers, and uh, Cleveland, our designated caterer, made a list and decided which ones he wanted to choose. But I encountered a problem. I wanted to do four movies. And I, I, I couldn't do four movies. We got, we got only three. I, 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 I didn't want to not pick any of them. And I still had to write one off. Actually, there are five I wanted to. I, I was actually interested in. Uh, uh, but I think we'll be picking that one down the road anyway. So it'll be fine. But fortunately, my pick was coming up next. So we figure instead of doing three and one, and then another one that I also picked. <laughs> uh, let's let's just bunch them together and do a two-parter. That's right. So uh, this week we'll be talking about two of the films that Cleveland has chosen, and then we'll cover the other two next week. All right, so the first film that we're going to be talking about is an Irish film called Sea Fever, written and directed by Nisa Hardiman and starring Connie Nielsen, Hermione Corfield, Doug Ray Scott... Olwen Furrer and uh, <laughs> well pronounced. Good <laughs> yeah, job. Doing, I'm, I'm real on my game tonight. Uh, and Ardalan Esmaili. It is about the crew of a West of Ireland trawler marooned at sea, struggling for their lives against a growing parasite in their water supply. And for all you land lubbers, a trawler is a fish boat. It's a fish boat or ship, whatever. Uh, yeah, no, fish, fish boat's the technical term, right? Um, well, before we start talking about the movie proper, I want to talk about, like, the intro of this particular version of the movie that we got. Do y'all remember at oh, the yeah, very weird. beginning? Well, what it is, is it's part of a theatrical digital run. A lot of movies nowadays, in lieu of all theaters being closed, right. are doing theatrical online runs. And with that, they feel the need to add, you know, pre-roll for their movies and sometimes post-roll. Thankfully, this movie didn't have any post-roll. Yeah, I had never I had never seen anything like this. It started with like the I think this was from some streaming service or production company Dust. Right. Mm -hmm. I had never heard of them. And that started by, you know, just this lady coming on being like, good evening, good evening, take a trip to the bottom of the sea and discover the the paranoia of boats and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was like, it was like with, and, and, the, and uh, the science of so-and-so with aquatic whatnot. And I was just like, am I at the Explorium? What the fuck like, is going on? With, with the brand new film, Sea Fever. It's like, what is 
this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was a little primed for it because uh, earlier this week I watched this movie, Emma. It was on movie as like... With like a B? A, yeah. Um, like that. a cinema alternative thing. Did but they do something They did a pre-roll before it and then they did a little Q&A after the movie, like a pre-recorded the movie? digital... Yeah, after the movie. Um, after the after the movie. Can't say I was expecting this one. It was definitely weird, but I wasn't as flabbergasted by it, I it guess. Was, it was definitely off-putting, because I wasn't expecting it. Um, but let's dive into this movie. I thought the trailer was very cool. I was, it had me hype. I was very excited to uh, check this movie out, actually. I know better. I, uh, yeah, no, spoilers, I guess. Um, it presented itself as, like, the thing at sea, which sounds... Dope premise, frankly. Sounds like a great premise. The The film is is shot very well. It is quite... Generally. Quite, yeah. There well, are exceptions. Most of the movie is shot quite well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 got a nice aesthetic. It's lit well. You know, you, there's a lot of this, like, the kind of stormy, gray Irish sea. I, I overall I overall all liked the aesthetic. Um, but it's uh, about our main character, Shaban, who uh, is some kind of aquatic researcher. They try to do it as like a joke more than once where she tries to explain what she does, but people aren't interested. And similarly, I also wasn't interested when she tried to explain what she did. Yeah, I, I was intrigued. I, I like I like science fiction, like I like hard science fiction. And so I'm I'm usually like I'm super on board for it. And I was. I, it's I got a vibe in an interesting way. Yeah, well, like, and I got a vibe off the trailer that we'd see that. Like, she's she's packing microscope. She's she's yeah. ready to she's ready to roll. She's definitely a science centered main character for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and credit to her character this is probably the last like positive I'll say <laughs> about the characterization. But credit to like her characterization as being like not a people person. I liked that at the start. Like I, I thought that was that was cool. Like like she's incredibly standoffish, and uh, she's the the epitome of a um, of an introvert. And I I dug that. I I thought it's nice to see like an introverted like protagonist. You I don't you don't see that very often, actress, male or female. I think the actress that plays Siobhan gives a pretty good performance Same. in this movie too. The she's writing okay. might be kind of bland, but like <laughs> the yeah, performance I I, itself. I think she didn't have a ton to work much. with, yeah. but. Yeah, I think that goes for all, like the majority of the cast. I don't, I don't hold any resentment towards like their their performances uh, per se. I, I don't, I don't think that that any of them were were poor actors by any means. Like they were, uh, you know, they they did they did passably at like what what material they had. Well, she is uh, setting sail aboard this Irish fish fishing vessel to do some research while they fish. She has to like photograph their catches and look for anomalies. Something right because she studies generic. Yeah, she studies like studies like pattern development. Um, which is incredibly vague, but uh, yes. uh, most of the science in this movie is incredibly, incredibly vague. vague. Uh, um, unfortunately, that's where I yeah. I so you bit. know, she's as as you said, she's an introvert. She's not a people person, and she's put on this boat with these like 
very working class, like sailors and engineers and fishermen and stuff like that. And to top it all off, she's a redhead. So, you know, old sailing traditions, it's bad luck to have a redhead aboard your ship. So, you know, these people are superstitious, so they immediately don't like her because she's standoffish. Uh, she's not personable. And she's a motherfucking ginger. I They wouldn't have let me on that boat either. And so... With Shaban, I stand in solidarity. Well, I mean, for let, good measure, though, Tisa, I mean, you have sunk literally let, every boat you've been on. Look, yes, I have sunk every ship I've been on, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be allowed on more boats. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Allow gingers on ships. So, yeah, you know, that's the setup. We've got our extremely generic cast of characters on the ship there's let, let me before you say the name i i want to i want to present this as a game for our listeners okay. right there's a character one of the sailors she's uh the uh the one of the owners wife. of the boat yes, yes. yeah I, I was trying to like name her station without like you know making like the wife up but yeah she's got oh uh, yeah she's, and, she's the captain's wife um, and she owns the boat uh <laughs> yeah so for our viewers i want i want to present you with what what she is she is a another superstitious character who uh, is Norwegian. Her primary function is to exposit uh, Norse mythology. What do you think her name is? Freya. You guessed it right. It's Freya. So that's about the depth of her character. There's her husband, the captain, who uh, his character is that he sucks. Uh, he's, yep. he's the fucking worst. He uh, makes... The majority of the bad decisions in this movie, he's kind of the impetus for uh, everything constantly going wrong, um, and I hated him, and um, he did not die soon enough, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there are uh, a handful of other people. There's Old Woman, there's Handsome Engineer. Old Woman who cares about Nephew. Old, yeah, old woman who likes handsome engineer because he's her nephew or something. There's some kind of relation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it might um, not be nephew, but it's, it, it's there's, something yeah, familial. There's, there's some there's some kind of familial tie there, uh, and then there's other slightly less handsome engineer. And is that it? Is that everybody? <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Those are the only ones who have any kind of import. And yeah, they're out sailing, uh, and they realize that they're on a path to go through this uh, exclusion zone. Mm -hmm. uh, and At first, it, only the ca the captain just runs them because he's a shithead. He runs them through it, you know, so he can save some time and budget. Well, right, and without then, telling yes. anyone, and then they notice and say, "Ah, oh, no, we can't do that." And he's like, "Okay, well, I'll change course." And then he doesn't. And don't they get a call from like the Coast Guard or whatever? Yeah, yeah saying like, like "Hey, don't, don't go in the exclusion zone." And he's like, they, "Cool, they, I won't." And they it say does. something about like, "There's like a, a pot of whales, like you know something." It's like a a, a birthing ground for which, whales. Which, which frankly, I mean, like he just earned his death there anyway. Dude's willing to fucking trawl over some whales. Fuck him. Right. And then, of course. They wake up the next day and I can't believe you've brought us into this exclusion zone. Oh, no. And then something, something, we have to catch these fish or I'm going to lose the boat because I'm in, we're deeply in debt. <laughs> you know, they hit something large that breaks only one thing on the entire boat and it's their radio. So they can't call for help. Yep. Uh, and uh, something is uh, is holding them in place and they are mired and um, they they send Shaban down in a dive suit. Like, because... oh, hold, hold on, hold on. I, I got to backtrack real quick. Okay. Was, was the radio, was it fastened down? No. Come the fuck on. These are veteran, veteran fishermen. Like, the radio would have been fastened down. 
like, but like they're on they're on like they're on like, out of to have the radio destroyed like, for plot. Like fuck you. Like I swear <laughs> to God. Like it's it, these are veteran fishermen. They wouldn't fucking leave right. the radio like not fastened down so it could be busted. Right. Well, because that's exactly what happens. Yep. They they hit something that they assume to be like a large shoal of fish or something. You know, something large and moving fast under the water. Yeah. And literally, like I said, the only thing on the boat that it breaks is the radio. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, like what's better for making you like characters than general incompetence? Exactly. Right. Wonderful stuff. Like I'm sorry that like they they lost their. Kid or whatever, like they have this uh, this tragic backstory that's alluded to, like the figurehead or whatever it's called. Yeah, of their, the front of the boat is like their little their daughter. Or yeah, something. it's like an effigy of their kid. It's, and stuff. it's once again completely vague yeah. and doesn't really have any payoff. No, and also doesn't have any yeah. importance to yeah. the plot. Yeah, you know, I think it is just for us to like feel some sympathy for them, but they they really bring about their own ends largely. Yeah. So mm. before we go. Further into the plot, I want to give a general observation that I saw with this movie. You know, like, it's very clear that this movie, in a lot of respects, is a direct ripoff of The Thing. Yes. You know, with the paranoia on the claustrophobic, you know, boat, uh, not knowing who's infected and who's not. But when I was thinking about it more earlier today, you know what movie... I saw a direct comparison with with this movie is Prometheus. It's a lot of, yeah. you know, underdeveloped characters making bad decisions. With that said, there's some cool concepts at works at times, you know, some cool visuals even at work at sometimes. But the overall package suffers because a lot of things within it are half-baked and not fully thought through. I think Prometheus is a generally more entertaining film than this yes. one. It's a bigger budget. Correct. And know. that helps a lot because this film's lack of budget really does show itself in bad ways later in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we're always proponents of, like, do more with less. You don't need a budget to make a successful movie. Look at It Follows. Look at stuff like that. But that doesn't mean that lack of budget can't hurt a movie. And this is one of those ones where it does hurt it because... Like you said, in comparison to Prometheus, I think I think you're you're right. The writing is not very good, but Prometheus is saved by like some really great set pieces and impressive effects. And while the characters aren't very deep in Prometheus, at least some of them have like a degree of intrigue. Don't get me wrong; the engineers in in Prometheus drive me up the fucking wall. Like, there's a lot of frustrating things about it, but like, I also David's compelling. Of, I also think some like, of the characters like, in Prometheus are are likable. Yeah, and like I like there really is like there, there are, in there are intriguing and compelling characters in Prometheus. Like, I, I think they're all pretty flat like the i I do agree with that point but like this film what's her name uh shaban uh at first i was intrigued by her but by by the end started to to find like even oh i hated her i hated her by the end of the movie yeah um my my last note on prometheus is just to bring up that um we have referenced Prometheus so many times on this podcast now that I think we're going to have to talk. We're going to have to watch God. it at some point I'm okay because we have multiple times brought up Prometheus on this podcast. I have a lot to say about Prometheus. Uh, I'm, I'm okay but I think that. similarly to Prometheus, this movie, its best elements are, you know, likewise, its set pieces. Yeah. You know, whether it's the claustrophobic setting of the ship you know, I think a lot of the heavy lifting of this movie is done by the cramped environments that For they're sure. in. A- I just wish there were more stakes to it. Like, they have this great environment, but I don't think they really take 
good advantage of what they can do with that in the way that like the thing does yeah well and you even have some good effects heavy set pieces in Mm -hmm. this the standout sequence of the movie was the the first guy who got infected uh eventually you know he keeps rubbing his eyes the love interest character a good the handsome engineer a good 10 15 minutes of the movie the lead up with him like like kind of getting the fever uh like wanting to uh like go for a swim like while they're out in the high seas like no we don't do that like what are you doing that was fun and i think like ben you even said during that like oh this is neat like this is you know more of this it's almost like it's kind of it's lovecraftian that was me that was you okay yeah it would be um no it's very like it's a nice like it's it's subtle enough it's not him like getting all wide-eyed going i got the fever i'm on the ship you know it's 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 nice he's like oh let's go for a swim they're like whoa hold on slow down and that's really all we get well it's even implied that he doesn't swim and no one else on the ship really swims so seeing him want to go for a swim is unnerving you know and i i think that's really effective but later on you know as he succumbs more and more to the sickness uh we eventually see his eyes just explode in a horrific fashion and it's dope yeah, it, like a little tadpole parasites burst out of his eyes, and it's awesome. And that should have been like where the film started ramping up. That should have been the beginning of. That should have been the escalation. And I was ready for it. Instead, that is the highlight of the movie. That is like what ends up being the 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 climax. Yeah, I think and that and like seeing the creature early on. Yeah, well, I want to talk about that next because we should provide a little bit of context for the infection. Yeah, yeah. And that is a scene that I actually, oh, th- while I was still on board with this movie, pun intended, uh, when they they hit the thing and they they they're stuck and they can't move, um, you, they they send Shaban down in. Don't a di- don't call in, it the thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't uh, don't do that. Sorry. Uh, the the whole the creature yeah oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they they send accurate but confusing <laughs> they send Shabbat down uh, in a diving suit to because they said oh well you had to dive for your research anyway so go down there and figure out what we're stuck on you know so she, diving she goes so diving she goes and she quickly sees that the the boat has run afoul of some Tron sperm. Uh, because that's what those the tentacles look like. They look big, glowing blue sperm cells uh, with little mouths on them. But yeah, she sees that like the the boat is stopped by like these these tendrils that go way down into the depths into some enormous cosmic butthole butthole jellyfish nightmare and you know she's very quickly like no fuck no i want i want out and you know gets out and we see that these tentacles are like dissolving holes in the ship and that's really cool with them like peeling away like the the dissolving wood and seeing like the little sucker mouth on the outside it's rad but here's the cool she she's the one she's the she's a scientist who goes down to the water and like clearly she has some sm- some sort of background in biology like an aquatic biology she, right. otherwise she wouldn't be on this trip e- even if like that's not her main background like depending on like how much of her focus is on like like patterning and behavioral patterns and whatnot regardless she's smart and she's the one well the film tells us she's smart right right we're geared <laughs> we're geared by all points to believe that she's smart and like here's the thing if your character is standoffish and like non charismatic 
by howdy, they'd better have that going for them. You know, you want to make sure that they, they come across like an intelligent character. And she goes down. She sees this definitive alien, right? This is not something that has been seen before. And she's not at any depth. She's just below the immediate surface. Right. There's little to account for it being like something from like the deep trenches it could be you know but like it's something it's unprecedented like, something unprecedented yes. yeah like it is it's not a cephalopod which is the first thing that she says it could be well no she she comes back up and describes what she saw and is like i have never seen anything like that and the captain is like oh you're uh you're just nervous because uh we're we're stuck out here it's probably just a giant squid you just you just thought you saw something different so just like immediately writing off it's like well because he he hops on giant squid because she says something along the lines of like like it's like cephal it's like a cephalopod or it's like it's something like this or whatever and he goes oh fuck giant squid I'm gonna nail me one like like Ahab. I did kind of like that how he hopped on. He's like, oh fuck yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get me a I'm gonna get me a sea beast. Yeah, drop the drop the net down. Let's let's scoop it. Because who wouldn't like like I I get that like 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 fisherman side. Fuck yeah, let's haul in the ultimate catch. She looks kind of like terrified of what she saw, but her analysis of it like is not anything really deeply scientific like we don't really get what i would have liked to have been like a nice like biological monologue there we could have gotten like a really cool combination of shark size or like a doll's eyes and also like a scientist well, like biologist perspective stand, it could have been cool right and she doesn't stand up for her analysis of what she's seen you know she allows herself to just be written off as the traditional hysterical woman you know we saw what she saw like you said she's a fucking scientist whether she's trying to classify it as some kind of uh you know strange subspecies of something that exists like a cephalopod or whatever okay fine she has a scientific mind she would want to try to classify it Mm -hmm. but for the captain to be like ah nah your eyes were playing tricks on you it's just a giant squid i'm gonna go scoop it up for her to not be like no fucking listen it has glowing tentacles with mouths on them it tried to bite me like it's enormous like she didn't stand by that at all and just like allows herself to be written off no marine creature of any size has anything like that and and uh exhibit b of her being a terribly (laughs) written scientist is when she goes she's the person her character you've got a whole crew of people her character is the one who barehanded touches the corrosive substance yes yep in high school chemistry high school fucking chemistry they tell you to waft the fumes and shit like that right but if you don't i mean you see see, it's like oh hey know what something is don't touch it with your bare hands yeah but no the one the one piece of data she does have is it is melting through the hull right maybe (laughs) don't touch that (laughs) come the fuck on like where is like any amount of like caution like like from our scientist character i i it, uh, like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's frustrating. That's another direct uh, Prometheus parallel to mm-hmm. the, the scientist character touching the alien thing with its bare with their bare hands. Yeah, well, I think part of the issue with her being disregarded right away is it makes her character come off as very passive, right. which isn't a problem in itself. The problem comes, I would argue, in the second half when she does try to stand her ground and it does kind of ring hollow exactly. because, you know, we saw her get pushed aside easily before without her pushing back. And I'm sure they were trying to do character development with that, kind of have the arc. She's but, come around and gained her confidence. Or she's just, she's just finally yeah. had enough. But the thing like, is, sure. like, 
at its core, they're in a doomed environment. You know, they can't move the ship. Right. You know, like when they're when they're yeah, when they're stuck on it and he's trying to get the net out even, you know, like what is she going to say? We got to leave that she knows you can't leave, you know, it's kind of a weird situation because uh, it's a very doomed situation and there's no real thing you could say outside of, oh, yeah, don't try to pull this in, you idiot. There was more stupidity to it. I I forgot. There's another piece of dialogue where she says or the guy says like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to like kill it. Or whatever, and and haul it in, and she says, "No, it could be like an endangered species or something." And she goes to bat for it when it was like she saw what it was doing. We got to protect the alien monster. We what? Hold on, mm, I, I don't, I don't know about that. Like, like in that respect, it felt very inspired by like the abyss, where like they are trying to like help these deep sea creatures. And not always kill them necessarily. Yeah. But which, you definitely end up killing them. Yeah, which which is fun, like, when that's that's handled, like, more competently and it's not, like, in such a futile setting. Um, like, in the Abyss, like, they're in, like, their undersea station with all the money in the world, like, like running it. But mm-hmm. here it's, like, like a, an abandoned trawler. Like, they have no chance, you know, hardly of, of, of getting out of there. Like, the, the first thing, like, when you look into the depths and see alien butthole monster. Like, glowing alien. Glowing alien. Monster. Like, yeah, bioluminescent, like, alien butthole monster. Like, should just just be, like, get the fuck out. Especially, like, pre-establishing, like like establishing, like, a need for quarantine. The first half, to an extent, worked for me because I felt like it was definitely... It definitely carried that vibe. Well, it felt of, like it was building up to uh, something. A doomed... You know, situation they can't escape because yeah. the the boat won't move. They're stuck in uncharted waters. They're going off of their path, so the coast guard wouldn't know where they are. Exactly. You know, their radio is broken. It feels like a very hopeless situation. They see another ship in the horizon, and they go to visit it, and you see the aftermath of the the whole crew on the ship has died brutally yeah and you see like one is missing their eyes looks like their eyes were gouged out um and a lot of knife wounds not a lot of knife wounds stuff like that and uh i thought that stuff was excellent it built dread super well yeah no you're absolutely right because through all of that it feels like it's building up to something and that's why i was all the way like even though the characters weren't particularly interesting and the writing wasn't great I was definitely still invested through all of that stuff up through when the dude's eyes burst. Because, like, thematically, this is everything I, I would want. And I think, like, you know, like, that goes for y'all as well. Like, yeah. like we, we love nautical. I love nautical shit. I love the thing. I love everything about this genre that's being presented to me. And, and for that, like, yes, I can be guarded about that. But also, like... You're giving me you're already just by premise giving me everything I want. Like I would find I would think it would be pretty easy to keep me like happy and satisfied like watching this film. It's a simple enough premise that it should be hard to fuck up. And right. the fact that they ultimately did is is what really, really frustrates me. Because all of the stuff that we've been describing so far, despite our frust our character frustrations, 
has been cool. Like the the Tron sperm tentacles. Awesome. When we see them underwater, cool they design, look cool. Yeah. The practical effects, like when we see the little sucker mouth eating through the ship, that looks cool. Finding the people dead in horror in horrible ways on the other boat cool the dude uh who's infected because uh, there's larva in the goo and he gets summoned to an open wound like you do like the thing about him like you mentioned him wanting to go for a swim after dinner it's like when i saw that i was like oh shit so he's like the the creature is like calling to him that's why it felt like so lovecraftian it's like he wants to swim he wants to be near it you know he's he's enraptured by this weird otherworldly monster but no, you know, they, they keep him from going in the water, and then nothing like that is ever addressed again, because shortly thereafter, his his eyeballs burst, and the larvae get into the ship's water supply, so now it's like, ah, the whole boat's contaminated, and the rest of the movie is just, like, very lazy, half-hearted attempts to figure out who or who isn't already infected and how to get the creatures out of their water supply. And the using, thing, the using thing, very, like, using very soft science for somebody who's supposed to be like a keen scientific mind, and not know? only for someone who is supposed to be keen and scientific, but who has the equipment to do better testing. Yeah. With them, we see as, her, as we see her looking at like the microscopic larva, like in the goo, like studying it. And Ben, was it you who called at the very beginning that there's going to be some kind of like testing scene to determine who yes. was infected? Like the thing, right? Exactly like the thing. You called that very early on, and you were like half right. Like they have a scene. I mean, where, I was pretty much right. right. I mean, yeah. well, you were you were right in that they they have a scene where they gather everybody together and that they like test them, but the test just involves looking into somebody's eye with a flashlight and seeing if anything is moving like what there, the fuck like which is such a lazy unscientific test really a payoff to it you know at the end you find out the the captain has it you know but it's not revealed in a it, particularly the flashlight test way. doesn't it just straight up doesn't work well no that's right it doesn't they see something moving in the captain's eye and that's how they know that he's infected but the old woman was also infected because she was handling her nephew or whatever's corpse, and they shine the light in her eyes and don't see anything. Yeah, because she, she shines it in her eyes for like a grand total of four and seconds. And then it's like, and they're like, okay, well, that's confirmed. If it, if there's nothing moving in your eyes, then you're not infected. And like five minutes later, it's revealed that she's infected. Our scientist character Shaban should have something more clever than that. Like, if fucking Kurt Russell... Test. If fucking Kurt Russell in The Thing can come up with a creative, impromptu, like, test to determine, like, who is infected and who is not, like, this scientist should be able to do the same thing or better, you know? In a respect, I kind of like that they bring up multiple methods of her trying to test and it failing. Like, for example, with the the black light, the UV light. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's stupid that they create a UV light. It's not something you can do easily with the resources on this cramped fishing boat. Yeah, they, they turn somebody's cell phone flashlight into a UV light using scotch tape and blue Sharpies. But, like, the greatest epitome of that that, that fucking frustrated me the most is her plan to get it out of the water supply by essentially electrocuting the entire boat. 
to like run a current using seawater as a conductor to run a current throughout the entire boat that will electrocute anything in in the pipes can't see my face right now but i'm just like like staring like listlessly and blinking repeatedly what it, i mean it's it... the funniest part of that sequence was you see the captain as well as the wife touching things yeah right before they're right as they're like putting the charge in and it's like they're going out of their way to make sure we know that they're wearing uh you know rubber boots but they're still touching things with their hands you know you're still gonna get the arcs with that shit there's also a bit where like the the uh shaban like waves the electrical thing like in someone's face to hand it to them (laughs) clearly like the actors were just like handing it off and you know like they weren't worried about it because it wasn't actually like a live wire right uh it really took me out and the the guy didn't respond to it or anything like it could have been like a fun character was like whoa watcher you're pointing that you know the that usual cliche but nope no just just waved it in his face that's it all right cool of course it doesn't work because it's a it's no. a it's a completely stupid harebrained idea and you know, to fry the engine too they were talking about how they could maybe insulate it and it's like no like, you're you're gonna you're gonna fry everything else you have all they succeed any in means doing of cooking is, your food too yeah. fried like like your 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 ship is your your one means of survival here and you're you're gonna all they all they succeeded in doing is is getting is is lighting the figurehead on fire and like realistically too it has been shown that they have have beer and soda and other bottled and canned drinks on the ship available for the crew and they're only about 30 hours out from port so why are they even worried about getting it out of the water supply as long as they can confirm that nobody's infected they have more than enough liquid and food to survive until they can get back to port and like deal with it appropriately you gotta do the old cabin fever method of only drinking beer exactly the entirety of (laughs) the ship's passage and i mean like i think that's an interesting comparison with cabin fever actually because they're both kind of quarantine outbreak movies the one thing i'll say to this movie's benefit is i think this movie had amazing release timing like it came out on the perfect time with all of the quarantine and COVID stuff. Um, it There's feels, definitely a good quarantine message. In yeah, it feels very seen. timely and prescient. Uh, but uh, with Cabin Fever, you get so many more payoffs. You know, so, way, you know the thing is with this movie, like you said, the action really happens with the eye explosion. And shortly after that, you get like the shower scene where... He's all cut up from yeah, we see, things in the shower. We see, like, the, the larva, like, crawling into his back. But, like, he doesn't have an, an interesting death. He literally just gets sick. He gets the fever and just dies in his bed. The old lady who gets infected dies when she attacks Shaban and Shaban kicks her in the head. The captain has his wife cut his throat off camera. When you're dealing with something... A monster that lays its eggs, like, or puts its larva, like, inside of other organisms. You expect there to be, like, some kind of, like, crazy, horrific, like, birthing. Like, the monster coming out of them. And we get the one scene midway through the movie of dude's eyes exploding. Yeah, in that whole sequence, like, we we see the guys, we get the, the, the only real cool, like, death on screen, right? 
And also we see the monster for the first and only time. Right. Like, like <laughs> what the fuck? Like, like the film just like blows its load. Like in, in the first half, we never get anything like either of those sequences. Again, we never, we never once see the monster again after that, even for the climax. Well, we see the big one at the very end, but the uh, butthole. Yeah. yeah. We see yeah. the butthole when she's it? swimming towards it. Well, I thought we see her like swim down, but we don't see it. No, we see it. We see we it. See, we see yeah, the it's very clearly oh, we'll, it. We'll cut that part out. But like we only see it those two times, you know, like. Um, but Well, well yeah. I definitely agree that it kind of overplays its hand yeah. early on, which leads to a very uneventful second half and, a, you know, halt in the momentum of the movie. I wonder if they I, originally had bigger plans for the second half and ran out of money in the first half. That's a very because, valid point. Because, like, despite the low budget, like, the effects in the first half and stuff that they do look good. Yeah, they, they, they look make, really good. They make the best of their budget, but I think after the eye-exploding scene, a really good way to describe the rest of the movie is cheap. Yep. Well, and I I think the eye-explosion scene... And the shower scene, you know, since they happen almost concurrently, yeah, um, it really sets the stakes and the dread, which does a lot of the heavy lifting in some of the better elements of the second half. But the problem is there's no moment to justify the tension continuing. Yeah. You know, it's obvious that eyes can explode and it can cut into people's backs and do crazy stuff, but we don't really get another moment quite like the eye scene. And because it happened about halfway through and nothing happened afterwards, it really kills the momentum. And, you know, like, I think the other thing is with the second half, they're trying to play off the paranoia between the crew members. You know, Siobhan really wants to push quarantine to make sure they don't spread this onto the land and everyone else is wanting to, you know, get the fuck off of this boat as get fast as possible. Get to a hospital. The hospital I, and I want to reference our episode on Alien for, like, a great example of how to do that sequence. In, like, the, the 1980s, we have, like, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character in, in Alien just say, like, nope, you're not coming on this ship. It's not happening. And Bishop has to, like, break that rule, you know, for his own nefarious purposes. But, like, that's as, mu- that's as deep as the dialogue goes. That's as deep as it has to go because it assumes the audience is smart. But here we have to have quarantine fully explained to us, like, ad nauseum. There's multiple the scenes of dialogue of her just explaining what quarantine is and how it works. And I get that, like, we're watching this post-COVID <laughs> and we've been hearing, like, you know, like, so much information quarantine about quarantine is on, everybody's uh, on the mind already. Yeah. But but also, like, uh, that's why I, like, I, w- I wanted to start by citing, like, the scene from Alien and, like, how it just, you know, it, it assumes, like, its viewer, like, understands some things. And if not, they can use context clues to figure out the rest. But here, she just has to explain how, like, if you go to a hospital with this thing, you could get other people infected and those people you care about. And don't you care about not getting other people infected? And we have to hear it all, like, brought out. Well, and more so than that, you know, there is tension in that stuff. The problem is the characters are underdeveloped to the point where the tension between characters doesn't... It feels a little hollow. Yeah, totally. You know, it doesn't feel fully developed while you can see their motivations and see where they're coming from, they don't really feel like fleshed out characters. So you you can't really side with them or even 
think they're acting particularly rationally. Well, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think a, another uh, really good example, one that I even made a note of, um, is after uh, Handsome Engineer dies from uh, his exploding eyeballs, there's this whole sequence of the rest of the crew like coming to terms with his death and like their situation and it's supposed to be really melancholy there's like this piano music you know there's people sitting in their rooms crying because their friend is dead or whatever and it's like really it's like it's a very dramatic scene but I don't like or care about any of these shallow characters enough for that to feel earned. It felt like, you know, something from, like, fucking Grey's Anatomy, you know? It's like, oh, somebody died, I'm so sad. <laughs> sad piano music and crying. And it's like, but I don't fucking care about any of these people, well, so why am I, like, how am I supposed to, like, sympathize with them, you know? And at a certain point, too, you get the vibe that the film doesn't really care either, because Freya. Like, Good segue. Yeah, like, what fuck? Um, uh, so... Uh, our, our aforementioned uh, uh, stereotypical character Freya just disappears. Yeah, after she kills her husband, after her husband asks her to kill him, and she does, she literally just disappears from the movie. Yeah, we were all watching it, and we we're getting to the big, we we're getting to the big climax sequence, and I think TC were just like, "Where's Freya?" Yeah, because they decide to set the uh, Shaban in the last remaining. Uh, other handsome engineer decide to set the, sh the the boat on fire. Yeah, and apparently, like, we were discussing, like, where's Freya? What's going on? Like, is she on the boat still? Why isn't she there? Apparently, we, we missed a piece of dialogue. I, I went back and looked it up, and, and it, it would seem that Freya gets on a boat to go to the mainland or whatever. But we, we don't, never, we don't see, see it. it. We don't see it. Like, that must have been, like, an offhand piece of dialogue or something. Because all three of us missed it. Yep. Like, at this point, we were all getting kind of frustrated and, like, we were talking. So it's, like, it's reasonable to assume that we could have missed that line of dialogue. But what a lazy way to deal with one of your characters. Well, and for me, it's, like, why should we care anyways? Right. You know, her fate. Yeah, I don't like, care what happened to her. It didn't matter too much to me that they just wrote her off. It's lazy, but I didn't care because I wasn't invested in any of these characters. No, 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 really. no, no, no. I mean, that's an important distinction. I, I wasn't invested in Freya either. I don't, I didn't care that we didn't see her again. But it's kind of insulting that it felt like the the creators didn't care either. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, a, like it's, what, a, what a fuck you to your audience. It's lazy writing. Like it's literally just writing your character out of the movie with one line of yeah, dialogue. Literally writing off. But you know, at that point, I was so beyond caring and. Uh, I mean, at this point, we're pretty much at the end. They're getting into their little inflatable dinghy, and Handsome Engineer falls into the water and gets grabbed by the big beast, uh, and Shaban dives in to save him. And we see while she's down there that, like, it's latched onto him with yeah. these things that can... I don't know, corrode hulls of vessels. The tentacles have mouths. Like, we've seen yeah, that. Yeah, and, it's attached and to him. Yeah, he's, like, wrapped in tentacles, and she goes down there and, like, pulls the tentacles off of him and, in the process, uh, cuts herself on, like, one of the tentacles. And so, so she... from the viewer perspective, okay, cool, they've both been infected. They're both infected. But no, when they get back into the boat, she's like, you have to make for the mainland. I'm infected. And it's like, is he not also infected? Yeah, in, in what world is he not? 
like, how is he not infected? He got grabbed by, like, the acidic acid tentacle. Yeah. He's yeah. infected. But nope, uh, it just ends with her uh, diving into the water and a, a shot of her swimming down towards the big glowing butthole for reasons i i don't know like, i guess she's drawn to it but or or you know she figures she's dead anyway and she wants to satisfy her scientific curiosity and like see what the the creature is i don't know i, I don't i love to have like also been satisfied to see I didn't, it too i, but, didn't, fu- mm, I didn't fucking care at that she point. really didn't give a shit about quarantine anymore after right that. um well one thing before we wrap this up that i wanted to mention is I wanted to compare this very quickly to another nautical horror movie we saw earlier this year, Underwater. A much better movie. Um, Yeah. And similarly, you know, Underwater has very thin characters. The difference in why Underwater works where this one doesn't is because underwater has a narrative drive that's pushing the movie forward relentlessly. There's constantly stakes. Yes. And, From the very beginning. And this movie... And the characters uh, care about them. Like, because this film has stakes. It has well, serious stakes. But, like, the, the characters, characters, like, they don't, don't bounce off of them well. The characters care about it in this one. It's just there's no continual escalation of the stakes. Right. You know, you get that peak with the eye explosion, and then you just get nothing yeah and then it just kind of sadly yeah and where there should be tension and paranoia there's nothing because there's no pushing of the stakes so what you're left with are putting the hollow characters to the forefront and really shining a light on the weakness of the writing i don't need super nuanced characters when there's enough action and like a cool monster to like take the attention away characters can be fodder horror movies are all about that you know they're characters that are there just to die but like when there's not any actual like action in the movie or nothing particularly exciting then like having being forced to focus on underwritten characters is frustrating and kind of insulting and uh, at the at the end, when they're on the fucking boat or in the little dinghy, the green screen, the background is green screen, and it's yeah. terrible. Oh it my looks god! So bad. Like rough. Like, That's what I'm can... saying. Like, I wonder if they ran out of their budget before that point because, like, man, that shit looks cheap. Yeah, it's like 2000s green screen bad. Ooh, like, yeah, like yeah. The, the the it's nighttime, but you can see like the green screen, like green reflected on them. The edges aren't cut perfectly around their head all the time. You can see mm-hmm. the green. The lighting yeah, on the char- the lighting on the characters doesn't match the lighting in the environment. Yeah. Like all these kind of like little telltale things. Like that's a big old green screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. and rough. And it makes me wonder. I think I think you are very right that about halfway into the film, something happened, and they lost a portion of their budget. Somebody, either someone backed out, or I don't know what. Or like, maybe they just, it was just poorly managed, and they realized at that point, oh shit, we're out of money, and we gotta yep. make some serious, quick rewrites to be able to do this for cheaper. Mm-hmm. Like, I. And yeah, what, whatever the end was going to be for the film was not what was envisioned in any capacity. And it, it, even by the time they had started with production, because honestly, I hope that was, and the that's case. My, that's my I hope that was the case because it's worth the alternative is worse. Oh that, yeah. That, that they just 
got lazy halfway through and and it just petered out like mm-hmm. that's that's worse to me than them yeah running well I, I doubt are, they shot this all sequentially probably so. probably not but you never know because they're like there there is a pretty dramatic shift in quality around the middle mm-hmm. um probably wasn't shot entirely sequentially but it he, could be some some people do shoot sequentially here's the thing there are essentially i think two directions this film could have gone in for or to be gratifying either more budget and more crazy effects you know i don't have to care about the characters if the deaths look cool i'm entertained that's fine right more more fodder for the meat machine whatever that's that's dandy or less budget create characters i give a shit about so if their death isn't as extreme or powerful i'm less concerned by that because at least the idea of like this guy of one character's eyeballs bursting and then the rest of the crew just tearing each other apart out of like fear and paranoia and like lovecraftian means is fine but write it well, like like have compelling yeah, but then characters. Yeah, do that. Then actually right. do that. Yeah. Right. Instead of half-assing it with like 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 soft like soft science, like you said earlier. Yeah. And get scientific with it. Like do a little homework, or even have a motif. You know, like the the idea of him wanting to go for a swim is so compelling that if you had that repeating for other characters, right. In you know different settings, it's a cool idea. But it's just, it's a muddled mess as is, and yeah. it's underdeveloped and underbaked. Yeah, I would have I would have loved, like, just, just the whole movie, like, just been, like, scientific dialogue and, like, just trying to unpack what the, you know, what, what the creature was, you know? Because, like, that's the nice thing about a good creature feature, about a great monster movie. Uh, like, uh, I was saying... You got like, Star in, Trek for that. <laughs> in in the, the alien, like, in our alien episode, you know? Like, I, I love that biological horror where it's like, what, what creature do? How, how, how creature work? And, well, and unpacking that and like when you have like a scientist on board like you're just primed for that kind of dialogue and yes it is very very trekkian and i i, I wanted that like 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 small compartment like like only a, a few core people weird thing going on like give it to me i i wanted i wanted that the so creature bad. never really feels like much of a threat either the creature as a whole i think is a butthole as a butthole is uh is very is more docile than I would want from like a movie monster oh, I because like, I, I like that 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 idea like it it's so nonchalant about it because it is like it is so effective at what it does like it it but it's not effective at what it does that's my point exactly uh-huh. when they see it for the first time when it grabs the boat you know they say oh it probably thought the boat was a whale or whatever and she goes down there and she stabs one of the tentacles on attached to the ship and another one kind of like hisses at her like bears its teeth but it doesn't the creature doesn't attack her she just gets back up on the boat and then after they come back from the other boat they're like oh yeah we found some really horrible shit over there and one of the people on their boat was like oh well enough about that good news it let us go it just like let go of the boat Mm. yeah well the idea of the the creature being kind of a parasite for whales is cool. You yeah. know, like having brain worms on yeah. a whale level infecting a whole boat. Yeah. That's cool conceptually. Exactly. And that's all I meant is like that, uh, like by pre- the premise of it is is cool. The practice was 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 poorly right. handled. Because well, like it's it, that's Azathoth, you know, like this it, like mindless eater. Uh, that's 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 the annihilation, you know, in annihilation. Like that's that's cool. Like the idea of like it just being like a, like a big butthole see Azathoth cancer. Like, I'm here for it. Right, but it's not even doing 
doing any of that. Like, no, it, it's it, not. It lazily latches onto their ship, leaves some goo around that gets people infected, g- generally through their own incompetence. And uh, and then it shows back up again to kind of half-heartedly attack the guy who falls in the water, but lets him go very easily, despite the fact that it is like a vast Cthulhu-sized beast. The I fact wish that she's able to just pull its tentacles off and swim with him back to the surface, that's not a threatening, scary monster. I wish it would have made the sanity affecting elements yes. of it way more clear. The movie's Agreed. called Sea Fever. I want some fucking madness. Yeah. I want I want the virus to spread madness. And, and that you can do low budget. You don't totally. need an actual creature totally. for people to start acting insane. And, like and the, you get elements of that in the first guy. Yeah. You know, that's the coolest element of it, you know? He starts to kind of go crazy. Yeah, yeah like the best thing we can say for like the Lovecraftian madness is dude wanted to go for a swim. Right. Like, that's that's his, that was the peak of it, and it's, that's not much of a peak. And the thing is, too, like, the idea that we're positing that it was luring him, like, it had infected him and it was calling him, that's all stuff that we're projecting on this. The movie does not suggest that in any way at no. all. So, like, even, even that cool concept is something that we are projecting onto the film. I'm going to go ahead and rate this because we need to move on, Um, but I thought the trailer looked fucking awesome, and I thought this movie had a lot of potential, and it ended up being uh, a pretty serious dud. Uh, Overall, that was pretty boring, had some cool set pieces, but it uh, it blew its load way too early, and um, yeah, not not a, an overall good time. I'm going to give it a two and a half out of five. Well, I'm not quite as negative on it. I think the a lot of the claustrophobia, the cramped ship does a lot of the heavy lifting in this movie where some of the writing fails, the, the ship and the production design and the, the set piece itself in the single location really furthers a lot of that tension. With that being said, the writing leaves a whole lot to be desired while it is shot well and it's not as upsetting as some blatantly bad horror movies that we have seen on the podcast it's certainly not particularly good um i'm gonna give it a three out of five i i don't think it's bad and i think you know if you had it on in the background, it's not, like, offensively bad or anything. But don't go out of your way to see it. 2.5. One point for the eyeball, one point for the butthole, and, <laughs> uh, yeah, half half a point for the ship. That's all I got. I, I just, I, I, god damn it. You, you could have had a pretty, pretty damn fine movie. This, the, the premise alone. Just give me the thing on a, sh- on a, on a ship. That's in, that's enough. Oh, that's enough for me. And it wasn't. Bummer. Well, uh, that will give uh, Sea Fever an average of 2.7 out of 5 pods, and we shall move on. Indeed. Move Uh, on down. Move on down. (laughs) To provide some context, uh, before we talked about Sea Fever, we recorded a good probably 45 minute discussion on this next movie 
and Ableton crashed inexplicably and the audio file was corrupted. So we are now having to go back and do this again. So uh, sadly, this is probably going to be a somewhat abridged and truncated version of our previous discussion. Yes, this episode is brought to you by... And then right here, can you just do some like glitch noises? <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. Um, well, I think you know this. This dialogue will be more concise now that we know what we're <laughs> yeah. going to say. Yeah, we've we've worked some stuff out. Uh, the the next film that we're talking about is uh, the recently released Spanish film The Platform, put out on Netflix, directed by uh, Galder Gastelu Urutia. Uh, and starring uh, Ivan Masagüe, Zorian Igueleor, Antonio San Juan, Emilio Bale, and Alexandra Masanque. And it is a uh, kind of uh, pseudo sci fi uh, class allegory about a uh, vertical prison where a platform uh, covered in food moves down from cell to cell and the ones on top eat a lot and the ones on bottom don't eat a lot at all. Uh, <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> it's very much the love child of Cube and Snowpiercer. Cube and Snowpiercer with a healthy dose of uh, Bunuel, I think. Or at least a film student's idea of Bunuel. Um, cause it, it does have a lot of, uh, similar, uh, absurdist classist, uh, themes. I don't know the best way to start this considering that this is a conversation we've already, already had. had. <laughs> uh, I know how both of you feel about this movie. We'll Let's just, just break it down from top to bottom. Yeah, we'll... Oh, nice. <laughs> we'll we'll just do a basic plot rundown. I think that'll be pretty concise. Uh, our protagonist, uh, Goreng, wakes up uh, in this prison, and his uh, elderly cellmate... Uh, I'm going to use their names this time. Uh, uh, Trimagasi uh, it sort of explains the way this prison works. Uh, you know, one cell on each level, two cellmates, the platform moves down. Every 30 days, you move to a different level, seemingly at random. Uh, the people on the top uh, eat a lot, and uh, the lower down you go, the less food there is. And it gets so bad down in the bottom levels that there's a lot of, like, cannibalism and violence. And we see that, uh, you know, uh, Trimagasi tries to, uh, when they get to their second cell, uh, captures Goring uh, because they're so low that there's not going to be any food and he wants to be able to slice little pieces off of him so he can eat them. Um, he lets him purge himself for eight days first like a snail. He keeps calling him my little snail, mi caracol. Well, one of the things I think works best with this movie is the structure. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know very centered around Goring and his six months in this gulag prison. You, yes, the what we learn is that you can volunteer. Uh, it's the whole thing is presumably some kind of social experiment to see, like to test classism. Uh, he signs up to be here for six months because he wants to quit smoking and he wants to read Don Quixote. <laughs> yeah. It, more than anything, it feels like a way to cull the population. Right. <laughs> you know? Probably it probably has insidious motives, for yes, sure, uh, as capitalism does. But the way the film is structured is, you know, this giant platform is moving from the top to the bottom, 
and it stops for a couple of minutes on each floor. And every month, they randomly move you to a different floor. The movie's almost split up into six sections, which eat with each floor he's right. on. Kind of and, chapters, which structurally is quite nice. Yeah, yeah. and it, it allows us to, to get a different perspective uh, on the situation. Uh, very similar to, like, French like philosophical literature where like you have like all these different like fictional characters presenting their own take on whatever philosophical topic in this case it's you know it's capitalism yeah and uh, well, so I we see the it... person who's you know like trying to beat the system with kindness we see the person who's trying to who's, who's just become a part of it we we see we see a little bit of all of them and more so than that you know it works as a device to build tension in the movie mm-hmm. because you never know what floor he's going to end up on next the outcome of his experience is a hundred percent based on the floor he's on for sure you know, and there's a dread of being on a lower floor at any given time and there's a, a fair amount of contention throughout the film as to how many levels there are in this prison you know one woman who who worked there tells him 200 but uh you know he seem he ends up on 202 after that and knows that the he can see down the shaft that it goes on for quite a ways so he thinks 250 but generally the food runs out before level 100 so you know that means there's at least 100 levels or more below that just do not get food and like that's where the real violence happens i found that moment with floor 202 really stomach churning because he wakes up and he finds that his bunkmate who had worked for this company who had set him up to be in there you know she was saying it's 200 floors deep and they wake up on two 202 and he sees that she's hung herself right and it's just stomach churning to know like she knows that this is worse than she could ever imagine yeah and the only recourse for that is to end everything right well i she also does have cancer as we see she's got a lot of the cancer um but yeah like there is there is definitely like a kind of nihilism like she's she's put herself into this prison because she wants to see like what she's been the company she's works for has been subjecting these people to for all this time and she realizes like how bad it really is and how little like the employees of the company know what is really going on in here which you know ends up being kind of thematic and you know I have my fair share of theories that the company the people at the top know precisely what's going on here well, they have to because we know for a fact that all of these people are under surveillance. Yes. Because if they are holding on to food, when the platform goes down, the room is either superheated or super chilled. Until they die. Yeah, uh, yeah until Or they... until they return what they've taken to the platform if they throw it in their shaft. Yeah. Right, yeah. So they only have the two minutes to eat the food. So we know they're under surveillance because – uh, like, man, what a what a massive amount of resources it would take for this thing to run. It can't necessarily be like a biological scanner or anything because like they, they're they're there, you know, like, it's, well, yeah, it's I don't I don't 
question. This, this is definitely one of those movies where yeah, like it has like, to be surveillance. You don't question the the tech because, like, I mean, what is suspending the platform? As no, lowers, we're we're not there know? for that. Yeah, this we're, is we're this not, is sci-fi. Yeah, this we're, isn't like no. any kind of hard. Science. And the we're thing is, to to, yeah, no, no the, need. One of the things I kept thinking about is when you're on one of the higher floors and you're pissed off at the people above you. Why not just throw a bunch of food into their cell, <laughs> make their cell heat up or cool down? Oh, that's oh, actually that's a really a good smart idea. idea. Yeah. yeah, take it and throw it into the people above you. Yeah, yeah that's that's smart. Yeah, because like how. What if you took like a handful of rice and threw it up there? Would they have to cast down while they're every, sleeping? Oh, every man. grain of rice. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting idea. Well, I, I do want to make note of the first line of dialogue that we hear in this movie that kind of like sets up the whole theme uh, is uh, there are three types of people: those at the top, those at the bottom, and those who fall. And we see uh, all of those three types of people throughout this movie, and I think that the idea that they're moving people around onto different floors is kind of saying that like your class your your place in your class can change and that it may change you because of your elevated or lowered position because the people at the top can fall to the bottom and also there are people who physically jump to their death and fall down the shaft well and i I, I really like how it directly shows how the higher you are up the less empathy you have for the people below yeah just because you got yours fuck them you know, it's that right, type exactly. of ideology. And and it and that ideology seems to extend no matter how far down it goes, like even when they're on, you know, a lower level, fucking Trimagasi still like pisses into the level below them just because like even though they're low and there are many, many people above them, there's always somebody lower that you have uh, an advantage over in some way. I think that makes good sense. One of the the ideas of this movie that I do think is quite effective. Cause I think a lot of it is pretty heavy handed and, uh, very like surface level, uh, Marxism. The one thing that I do like is the idea of like forced solidarity, which becomes like a, a major theme in this movie. You know, Goring is kind of, he starts out as like an idealist, you know, saying like, whoa, well, if we just convince everybody to only take what they need, you know, to ration the food, then it'll get all the way down and everybody can eat. It's like the people up above just need to stop like hoarding it and gluttonously gorging themselves on it trimagasi tells him was like well change doesn't happen spontaneously it has to be forced yeah and you get multiple examples of that in really interesting ways um another example of that is uh the second roommate the one who used to run it that has cancer she believes that if everyone rations out what they have it would be easy for everyone to survive we find out later that that's obviously not the case right she makes little plates to send down to the next floor and they don't respect it at all you know it's one of those i got mine 
why care about the people below right. me? Right, I'm up on a higher level this time. I'm going to take advantage of it and eat as much as I can while I have the chance. That's another aspect of like the constantly shifting positions is that if you're if you've experienced the bottom when you're sent up to the top, you're more inclined to hoard what you didn't have access to before because you don't know like when you're going to be sent back down below. So, might as well take advantage of it while I have it. And Goring has to force the people below to go along with their plan because he says, if you don't do what the lady says, I'm going to shit all over the table and contaminate all the food. And then nobody below here is eating, include you included. So and you have to do the same thing. You have to tell the people below you and threaten to shit in their fucking food if they don't. And it's like that works for a time because the people want to still be able to eat something right and not have shit in their food. Well, yeah, and uh, on top of that, the bunkmate wants to try to convince the people above them to do the same, but it's very clear that you can't shit upwards, you know? Yeah, Goring says as much. Um, You can't force solidarity on people that have more power than you, you know? Which I I find kind of interesting. It kind of has a nihilistic streak to it. For and sure. that it really shows the the narcissism and lack of empathy of those in positions of power and in positions of material wealth. I think the reason like it it, it really f- it feels so narcissistic too is like in this very specific limited and controlled environment that is the case. But like in reality, like leverage is is not you know necessarily a ladder like it's you know it's it's three-dimensional like there are other there are many means of obtaining leverage so it's 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 a little more varied and complex there's lateral shifts too i mean that's you know the movie in a nutshell it's more than lateral like it's, it's a it's a shallow metaphor it can be very effective but it's not that deep yeah yeah. and i i think complicating things kind of diffuses the reality of situations where material wealth is the central factor you know there might be other factors of power but those intersect with wealth primarily you know i mean for sure it's it's literally all about the means that you have and i think it's worth noting too that for the most part people who are cellmates who are on the same level cooperate Mm -hmm. generally you know, until it becomes a, a, a you or me kind of thing when the means are gone completely in the lower levels. But like, well, while there's still means like there's there's solidarity among like the same class level, but not with above or below. And I, I think I think that's interesting. I think it's a little simplified because I think that it can extend in, you know, in different directions um more so than it does but you know it's uh it provides an interesting dynamic and that you always end up on the same with the same bunkmate unless your bunkmate dies you know as long Mm -hmm. as you're both alive you end up on the same level together should we go ahead and start talking about like the third act and why it works until it very much doesn't yeah uh, i can i can lead in a little bit okay there are a lot of things i enjoyed about this film the first two acts in particular uh, adored them. I don't necessarily need the allegory, the the metaphor 
store to go to run that deep to have a good time and to be entertained. That's that's fine. For the most part, it's it serves that purpose well enough. Uh, until we get to the ending. And what I'll say is the making of this film, the actual craftsmanship of it, uh, I have I have little to no complaints about. The the practicals, fantastic. The use of like the ones the one location. In the same vein as Cube. Yeah, yeah killed it. Much. Did a great job. Uh there there are many things to to enjoy. I, I like the the authoritarian, like perfect kitchen up top uh that we we get cuts of. Um and of course the score is awesome. Now that said, god damn it, the ending really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, uh, it left it left a it left quite a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, do you want to do the part, or I can do it? Yeah, again? I'll 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 try to breeze through it pretty quickly. So uh, Goring meets Baharat, uh, this this guy whose uh, one item that he's brought in with him is a rope. Uh, every prisoner is allowed to bring one item with them, anything they want. Uh, Goring brings Don Quixote. Uh, his first cellmate, Trimagasi, has a, uh, a samurai plus samurai plus uh, a knife that he uh, a self sharpening knife that he bought. Uh, off of a, a, a telemarketing ad, uh, and uh, his his next cellmate, she brings her wiener dog, uh, Ramses the second, with her. Uh, so um, of course the dog dies. But uh, anyway, Goring meets Baharat, another kind of idealist who wants to use the rope to climb to the top and escape, and he thinks it's oh all I got to do is convince the the people above to you know hold on to the rope and pull me up, and then I'll be moving through and won't bother them. He literally gets shit in his face, like they literally shit in his face over it, uh, which is very on the nose, but uh, it's entertaining at least. But anyway, Goring decides that hey. He convinces him the best way for us to get to the top is to first go all the way to the bottom. Let's ride the platform all the way down and we'll force people to take only a ration that they need so we can feed everybody all the way down. We'll force solidarity. We'll stand here with weapons and keep people from taking more than they need. They meet this uh, old wise man in a wheelchair who tells them, well, okay, that's good, but not enough. First, you need what you need to do is take the most beautiful, nicest, most delicious plate on the the platform and protect it and ensure that it makes it back up to the top, which as a message I think is cool. It's like showing the powers that be like, look, we have forced solidarity. We can all we could all ensure that this lovely panna cotta made it back up. We don't need this. And there's also this lovely like fuck you message to yeah. it as well. It's like you're like sending this like incredible dish back to the kitchen. It's like such a snarky like idea. Right. It's it's literally like you you think you have the means, but we don't actually need it. You know, like we we're stronger together. Your schemes won't work. So I, I think that idea is great. And it's a great setup for a climax of, you know, them descending all the way down and having to fight off people, you know, trying to take more than what is warranted. It's or, very fun. It's yeah. very directly Snowpiercer at times, too, with all yeah. the combat. And it's very it's violent. Brutality. Yeah. It's bloody yeah there's some good visual gags where we get to see like what 
items other people have brought like one dude brought a surfboard uh one guy brought an inflatable kiddie pool so there's just these two fat naked men just like sitting in like this shallow little water which is pretty apt for the <laughs> the movie i think so like they're they're going down and they get to the very bottom and they realize that the the shaft has gone much deeper than they thought there are actually 333 levels and at the bottom they find a child, the child of this crazy woman who has been riding the shaft down, looking for her child and murdering people along the way. The whole movie, this very ambiguous, quiet figure. Well, one cool element uh, we should mention as well is when everyone on the floor has died, it just continues down. It doesn't oh, stop yes. at all. Um, right. So you get this great little bit near the the end of that where... It just keeps going down floor after yeah, floor. Yeah, it's just not just stopping at all. People being dead over all of these floors. Uh, Goring's second cellmate, the woman who worked for the company, uh, told him that oh, the sh- that woman's just crazy. She didn't come here with a child. We don't let we don't allow anybody under sixteen, and there are no kids here. So you know he thinks that she's just like a crazy woman. And they get down there and find that oh, there is a child here. There's been a child all along. Baharat dies of his wounds, and they kind of descend uh, eventually into the lower level, the darkness, just this this void, uh, a massive dark room. And then Trimagasi, as a hallucination that Goring has been continuing to see him as, uh, you described it, Cleve, as kind of like the devil on his shoulder, like kind of taunting him, tells him that like, oh, uh, the the child is the message, not the panacotta, and the child, that message doesn't need a bearer. So so Goring gets off the the thing and just stays down there in the darkness as like the kid rockets back up to the top and or like slowly ascends into the light. I think. And yeah. Then, well, and then and then, and then, yeah, and then yeah, rockets yeah, up because yeah. the the thing shoots back up the the mm-hmm. shaft. Um, and then yeah, and then it just it rolls credits and it's such a frustratingly soft non answer to like the problems that this movie is like well and i think one thing with it too is since we talked about this earlier the first time we would arrive i think i can lay this out a little more concisely i think uh where a lot of the crux of this movie is surrounding forced solidarity the act of sending the kid up by themselves is a very passive symbol yeah you know you you have to rely on the kitchen and the people in the kitchen to do something about it. The movie is stated before, you can't shit upwards, you know? Right. Even if you send the kid up, that's not guaranteeing anything. Right. The the movie presents it in such a way that it's saying like, oh, well, when if the, the platform comes back up and there's a kid there, the people working here will say, hey, that's against the rules. There aren't supposed to be kids in here. What's really going on? That it'll it'll force like an introspective moment that will like bring the whole thing down, which is, I think, really naive and not a good solution. And also not indicative 
of the message they've been portraying the entire film, which right, is that the people higher up don't fucking care. Right. And like, assumedly, like there were people higher up, like running this or like uh, non literally higher up, like running this organization who would have who knew the child was there and put the child there. Right. For, Someone yeah. in power put the kid there. Like, so we we know that like they're they're probably confident in that and like that anyone who presents that problem is probably just going to get fired or written off and generally too like that's pretty easy to, to to cover as well like how'd that kid get in here is like a cliche saying for a reason it breaks all the rules that they've already been writing up and of course you know there are the questions too like how did the kid get in there why is the kid kid in there right we don't know i guess other than just like to give us like some sort of like half-ass satisfying ending so looking at this big picture my problem with it is that it all boils down to their final statement just being, think of the children. Yep. And that is a logical fallacy and a moral platitude. Like, it means nothing when it comes to actually, like, solving any of the problems that they've presented us. Especially so when uh, they've... So I'm left very hollow and feeling nihilistic from Especially when they've literally told us that change does not happen spontaneously, that it yep. has to be forced. And I think that, like, sending the kid back up... And, like, the film presents it as a very positive, hopeful thing. Like, yeah, the, there's bright light. The, it's it's the very music, angelic. Like, this child rising up out of the darkness Wells. into the heavens yeah right exactly and that's not forcing change that's that's literally sending a think of the children message which is ineffective when you're dealing with people that don't have empathy which is what would be required to set up and profit from this system <clears throat> capitalism you know so it's uh, a very a passive symbol of solidarity exactly you know? and i i see the the ending is quite bleak and them being sent up is so ambiguous at best it's like know? giving up yeah right. and yeah. it does not fit with the tone of what they convey that sequence with mm -hmm. you know they Absolutely. seem it as they make it seem like it's triumphant when really it's, it's not. not no yeah. that's not a victory after the movie was over ben suggested a fantastic alternate ending that i much would have preferred before we do i have a couple more points of on it okay. um because like that's that largely covers the big picture the the issues with it thematically but also like small small scale he's gonna leave that child unattended on that platform sending like, it into who knows what whose hands yeah. like like look after the kid why does he listen to the devil on his shoulder what good does this do like like he's just gonna sit there alone dead in the dark so our protagonist who we've been following this whole time just chooses death yeah at well, the end for no reason his sacrifice doesn't do any good he is he is much more useful staying alive and going back up with the kid like if you can go up holding the panicata you can go up holding the kid Right. You know, and keeping them safe. Especially considering that, like, Trimagasi, as, like, a human character before he was a hallucination, before his death, is constantly telling Goring that he is naive for trying to fight, for try or for suggesting that that he can make change, you know, that he can convince people to have solidarity. Like, he mocks Goring for it. You know, his whole thing is saying, obviously, to every, every question Goring asks, like he's speaking to an idiot. Obvio. You know? Obvio. And to then have a spiritual or hallucination or whatever version of that character tell him, in effect, to give up. Like, uh, that's not the way they portray it, but effectively, that is what he is telling him to give up 
and then Goring does it and feels good about it, and that's like it's supposed to be a, a good thing. Like it's it's a completely mixed message that makes me wonder if the filmmakers really knew what they were trying to say all along. Right, because I, here's the thing. Also, mechanically, like within the, the world setting, it doesn't work because we don't understand why this child is there Like is and, and how the child could have survived right. because this child has been here for like five or six months. Um, or longer. Or longer. Why didn't the mom ever ever find her? Because the mom has been coming down every time. So, uh, and the, the child would have starved before then. So the only answer is the child has been like placed in this room at this point for some reason, which again plays into the puppetry of it all, M- meaning that our main character is just is, is just still a puppet and, and nothing comes through. So like there's no from really like big picture to small to even mechanically large scale world motivation, the our protagonist's pr- motivation or even just the, the, the world building itself, the mechanics don't add up for this ending. It just works from no perspective. For I me. think from a filmmaking perspective, they were trying to do the cube ending, the ambiguous simpleton going into the white light. The, the innocent. innocent. Yeah. yeah. The innocent. Um, but like, the yeah. thing is, where in Cube, it's much more ambiguous because he walks out and there's no loaded ideology as much in him walking right. out. It it leaves the viewer much more ambiguous to what that implies. Also in Cube, our, likable, our other likable protagonists make worthy sacrifices like they're actually like going up against like very physical odds in that like because we do have another protagonist who's like relatively worthy of getting out if i remember correctly like who isn't a terrible person oh yeah the what's her face the one the the smart math girl yeah like she's she's fine like like there's there's she she could have gotten out but she has she makes a very legitimate sacrifice there like she actually i forget exactly what happens but she's she's dealing with something to do with the cube well there's which is which is why i think they were trying to imitate that in this movie and i agree fully to to lesser effect and i think you're right and i think it the reason it falls flat is because of the hallucination directly pushing the scales down and well and also our protagonist sacrifice means nothing and also i think that we also haven't gotten to know this this kid either like it also, I, I think that there's, uh, and I didn't even think about this before, but um, I I think that there's something that's kind of insulting about applying the uh, only the innocent is worthy of salvation message right. to, like, a classist thing, as in, like, you have sinned because you have been placed in these, in a place where you have to sin to survive, you know, by powers well, if, outside if, of your it's control. It's not very Christian, I'll tell you that. But but therefore, you're not worthy of salvation because because you've had to be down in the muck. Like I I don't like that. No. I don't like that's not that's not hopeful to me. Like yeah, it, it's a it's a really fucking shitty ending. And uh, can we talk briefly about Ben's alternate ending? Oh no, we we got to we got yeah, to. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think. Uh, you know, this movie emphasizes the idea of forced uh, solidarity. You know, when they're starting to go down on the platform, I thought, you know, it would be a way better ending for them instead of trying to ration out the food as far as they can to try to get as many people onto the platform as they can to take them all up to the top. You know, you got to force the solidarity. You can't shit upwards 
but you can bring a fuckload of people upwards and force some solidarity. But you can't shit upwards, but you can clog the toilet until it explodes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think that would have been such, such a more satisfying and like genuinely uplifting and like powerful ending we would not have even had to see what happened when they got to the top. That's not even what's important. It's the idea that they are all rising to the top together to take on whatever is up there. And you could cut to credits there. You could cut to credits when they get to the top and seeing the shocked faces of the people in the kitchen, like preparing the next day's meal. It, that would be a so much more satisfying. Ending. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, it's satisfying to see these two characters beat the shit out of people and it's all of the violence satisfying. That. like it's great but like the the visual element of seeing all these people you know piled onto this platform and huddled up together going up is yeah. just as striking of a visual and you know opinion. i think you could still have some of the action too because like of course there would be those who don't want to get on the platform like there would be those who still say no i'm gonna get my food while i can i'm gonna grab my share while i can so you still have the room you still have the room for the action you know you still have the room for the katana guy which is one of the best parts of the movie none of that is diminished but instead your climax builds to like a a much more like satisfying defiant ending and i think that for a movie like this that is like Obviously, trying to say something about class awareness. Obvio. Obvio. Class awareness is really fucking important. I I think it's good to have messages like this in movies. Fucking commit to it, you know? Don't muddle it with a not only narratively unsatisfying ending, but also an, an ideologically soft ending. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that really say about, like, the film's message overall? Is that, like, you can just say, like, oh, yeah, you know, it sucks to be shit on by the people over my head, but maybe they would be better if they considered the children. (laughs) I think that shit is soft. (laughs) And it's just, it's such a bummer because we're we're set up so beautifully with the, the platform, like, uh, cutting back to the platform rocketing back up after it's been to the bottom right like we we see a person at one point to like just like cut in half because they were like clearly like they were like looking over the side at the wrong time or something and uh the idea of like all these people huddle together as it's like rocketing back up to the top and ding it gets to the it gets to the top and you see like a, a scared guard or whatever is all these guys with their weapons and shit you know like are running off the platform would have been awesome or just them riding up to it you know, yeah, but, I, but instead, like I'm left like I while we were watching the movie, I literally said, no, please don't cut to credits a second before it did. Like I was like, oh, don't don't cut to credits here, please. You did no, that with Sea Fever too. I, I did it with both, both movies. Yeah. I was like, no, don't cut to credits. And oh, then, pl- like don't don't cut to credits, and then both times. Well, yeah, and the thing <laughs> with this one is like I'm fine with it having an ambiguous ending, but like the ending it has now is muddled. Yeah, in what it's trying to say. I think with the ending I proposed, for example, it would have been much more clear in what they're trying to convey. Yes. You know, even if we don't know the outcome of what exactly, happens yeah. with that. It we, would have carried the message through to the end. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's a coherence to that with everything they've been saying up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's just like you're, if you're going to present me with all these problems, give me a solution or something. Like even because this is a fantastical environment. Like the it's a it's a weird setting. Like uh, and you have to write off a lot of things going into it. So we're already there. Like engage in the fantasy. Give me like a like some sort of like functional solution, and it, it doesn't. That's uh, a shame. It's a shame. Or at least one that fits within your world building. You know, like that that makes sense. But totally. the the kid in no respect makes any sense. Big disappoint. Um, do you want to go ahead and rate, Clave? Yes. Why don't you you, you just okay. sum things up so nicely? I know that half of our discussion was about how much we didn't like the ending, but there's a lot of great movie here. To just reiterate everything I've already said, you know, the, the, the craftsmanship is fantastic, and I, I was thoroughly entertained up until that point. So it was still a delicious feast uh, that left a bad taste in my mouth at the end. Uh, but So I'll still give it a lot of props. Uh, for it, and I would recommend like if you like being entertained, and you know you you can get past like a, a kind of a flop of an ending, like you'll have a good time watching this movie. I think like you'll you'll enjoy yourself. So I'm gonna give it a 3.5. It was it was close to a four or a five. I I, I would have been just you know like a few things changed. I would I think I would have really enjoyed this film front to back. Yeah, and I think it's hard for me to really dock too many points for essentially the last couple minutes of a movie. Yeah, I definitely don't hold you know, like a huge amount of resentment, the, uh, unless I think that it sounds like uh, we do. A good chunk of the movie was conceptually interesting. It's shot really well. I think all of the acting is pretty solid. The writing is pretty sharp for the most part, uh, minus you know a few sloppiness with plot holes and stuff like that, uh, and you know stretches in in logic or you know rules. But I, overall, I think it's a solid movie, and I think it's worth checking out. You know, I, I think it's simple in what it's trying to say. It's not particularly deep, but I don't think that means the ideas conveyed aren't necessary, especially in these times. So I, I think it's worth checking out. I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five as well. Well, considering that we just had the same conversation uh, twice in the span of a couple of hours, uh, I did gloss over some of my other nitpicks, of which I I did have some. I think there's some pretty frustrating instances of the film breaking the rules of its world for plot reasons. I think that some of the metaphor is a little bit too on the nose and I would have liked to see a, a bit deeper exploration into some things but overall like the aesthetic is good the acting is very solid uh, and um, you know it's it's a relatively entertaining movie the ending uh, did more than leave a bad taste in my mouth like that was that was fucking bad it's not a bad movie I'm gonna give it a, I, I liked plenty of things about it I'm gonna give it a three out of five uh, and that will give the platform an average rating of uh, 3.3 out of five pods well um next week we're gonna be doing part two Cleveland do you want to go ahead and reveal what movies we're gonna be talking about or would you rather save that as a surprise we didn't explain what these were gonna be beforehand we're gonna be talking about Shrek 2 and uh, Garfield that 2, everyone Tale loves. of Two Kitties. Uh, Garfield 2, A some, Tale of Two some Kitties. Some say that is the scariest horror <laughs> movie of all Both time. of these movies from 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so uh, get get hype. Get hype for Shrek. And uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be next week. 
All right. Um, well, I'm going to try to wrap this up quickly because I'm genuinely scared of Ableton crashing again, and I won't be able to deal with that twice in one night. Uh, so if you like the show, uh, leave us a nice rating on Apple Podcasts and a nice review. Hit those five stars. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. Follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and uh, check out our Letterboxd as well at letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod. You'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DeepStateOzzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for LightArc Studio at LightArc Studio as we continue to put out the next big patch of our game. It stares back in early access on steam you know the drill uh you can also check out my work on art station if you search cleveland Mosier. um uh i'm doing all kinds of spookies and not spookies and DD characters for for commissions and stuff like that so if you want some cool art painted up for you shoot me a message maybe we can work something fun out all right, well, uh, come back next week for part two of our mid-year catch-up as we see what other dregs 2020 has to offer. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye.